Welcome, friend, to Godly Voice Notes, a podcast which explores how we can live holy lives as ordinary people called to live extraordinarily in Christ Jesus. May this be a sacred space of informal and rich conversation in which we fearlessly address gritty issues with sincerity, fun and practical application. I hope that together we grow, question and pray on this journey deeper into our God-given faith and that through it we are equipped to become more God-fearing, spirit-hungry and biblically grounded. Welcome back to part three in a series on the Chronicles of Narnia, a set of books written by C.S. Lewis. You can listen back to part one and two. In part one, I reflected solo on some of the important biblical principles represented in these books. And then in part two, I started an interview with a dear friend, Grace, in which we looked at some general introductory principles of the book and then focused in on the character of Aslan, who represents Jesus in these series of books. This is part three, which is the second half of the interview with Grace, and we'll be looking at the portrayal of good and evil in the books. Also, the concept of journey in the books and how that helps us in our Christian faith. And finally, we'll be finishing with some interesting questions, which we're really excited to ask one another. So let's talk a bit about good and evil, because it's not something we talk about always very easily or frequently Mm. in the church. It's sometimes a bit difficult to talk about evil. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I was really struck going back through these books how well C.S. Lewis deals with the idea of evil, the concept of evil. Mm. What were your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I think it's a lot easier when it's personified in a person that you can see that battle playing out. Or not even a physical battle, but a, a battle of um, territory and mm. people, particularly in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I think it's, it's easier to see it often when we think about evil in this world. We're thinking about an abstract thought or yeah. a temptation, not necessarily putting it on a person. But actually, I think it's a lot easier to see that we are in a battle, that we mm. um, do face a spiritual warfare mm. um, and... Yeah, I think it's another way that makes the books really accessible. Yeah, I think the evil people in mm. the books are written so well. I mean, you're just talking about Lion, Witch and Wardrobe. Mm. That moment that Edmund meets the White Witch, mm. we've already learned at the beginning of the story that Edmund is maybe prone to grumbling and being quite mean to his siblings. Mm. Um, you know, he lied about Lucy. You know, there's certain things about him that you just get the impression that he's not that nice a kid. And when he meets the White Witch, it's like she preys on all of his temptations and all of his meanness. Mm. Um, You know, and she says, oh, what would you most like in the world right now? And he wants Mm. Turkish delight. And she talks about making him a prince of the country. And then she sort of says, oh, and, you know, we could make your siblings like dukes and duchesses, thinking Mm. that that would be something he would want. And he said, oh, no, why would you make Peter anything? And you see his meanness. And Mm. she continues to play on that. Mm. And I... I've found that really helpful because it kind of shows the temptation of the evil one, that he Mm. just loves to take who we are and and kind of prey on our temptations and prey on our insecurities and our... the worst of us, I guess. And you see that particularly in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader with the various 
islands that they arrive on and the challenges that they face. They, um, not to go into too much detail, but they cover thoughts about um, gluttony yes. and lust and the desire. Lucy, um, Lucy, who just seems so perfect and so wonderful in all the books, actually, even some hardness of her, her heart is revealed in her attitude towards her sister and being yeah. jealous of her sister. One of my favourite moments... Oh, just, oh, they're all my favourite. What am I talking about? <laughs> a favourite moment of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is when Eustace um, becomes the dragon. Yes. Um, because he's lusting after the, the gold that's in the cave. And it's a meeting with Aslan that completely turns his life upside down oh. from that moment when actually Aslan shows him how to rid himself of that particular temptation and that particular vice that has over him. I'm so glad you bring that story up because I had forgotten about that story until I reread the, the mm. series. And there's that moment, isn't there, where mm. he he realises he's done wrong mm. and he, as the dragon, goes back to be with the king and his siblings yeah. and everything. And he tries to help them and he goes and kills animals and brings yeah. the firewood and all those good things but he's still a dragon and yeah. they and they start talking like how are we going to leave this island does he yeah. have to fly behind us or whatever and obviously you think well surely Aslan surely mm-hmm. Aslan's going to come now and he does and Aslan tells him to take off his scales and he yeah. starts scratching himself yeah. right down to the flesh pulling it all off and it's yeah. so symbolic mm-hmm. of you know we have to shed our exterior person yeah. you know as christians we're told to die to your mm. die to your old self mm. and become a new a new man yeah. and then he said he scratches it all off and it is really painful and then he looks down and it's all regrown mm. and it's not until he turns to aslan he's like yeah. i can't do it that yeah. aslan comes with his claws yeah. and rips it all off and and then he is um able to get into the pool bathe and he comes out as Back to him. Yeah, he comes back as Eustace. Not back to his old self, but comes out as a new Eustace and he's such a nicer character. Mm. And for me, I just find that so helpful because it's a reminder that we cannot get rid of our own sin. We Mm. cannot clean ourselves. We cannot scratch off our scales. Mm. It is only Aslan. And it might hurt. Like the idea of a lion tearing your your, your skin off. It is a painful process, but it's... It's worth it. Mm, it's like in Hebrews 12, talking about discipline and love. And um, it doesn't mean that it's going to be painless when we are disciplined. Mm. Um, but actually, it's necessary. Um, yeah, that a father disciplines a son that he loves. Mm. I think this shows that C.S. Lewis is really good at picking apart the human mind, yeah. picking apart how evil plays in with us mm. on this earth. Yeah. If you've ever read Screwtape Letters, you'll see that that particularly it's just a wonderful book really like showed me so much of my sin and actually so how we need to be aware of temptation and the works of the evil one and um, for those who haven't read it it's written from one demon to a lesser demon and it's an instruction manual effectively on how to tempt a human how to make your new christian slip up in their new life um, so it's written from that perspective, written as a strategy book for the evil mm. one, but actually just is so poignant in the way that it points out the way we're tempted on this earth. And I think in I the think same, we might need to do a whole other oh. podcast episode on Screw Tape. <laughs> but I think it's in the Chronicles of Narnia you see that played out as well in in a child's way. Actually, yeah. the various different vices and temptations that there are. And C.S. Lewis isn't afraid to talk about evil, no. which I really appreciate because he has such insight. You learn a lot about yourself if you learn about evil. And just one last point on the topic of evil. You know, the character 
um, the queen of the underworld mm, in, in the, the silver, silver chair. chair. She is just such a seductive character. Mm. The way she... She's actually a snake, isn't she? And the way she transforms into this beautiful woman mm. and takes King Rillian in and he becomes enslaved to her thinking she's just the most beautiful and mm. wonderful woman. She and tells him a lie, doesn't she? He's enslaved to her and at night he becomes his true self but he tells he's told by her that actually that's his madness and yeah. that, that she's saving him from this madness that he faces at night. She just completely flips it and I think mm. that's a... The same that happens with us and the devil, that um, the devil can flip things entirely and tell us that our biggest fears are truths and our um, biggest victories are just madness and not true. Absolutely. There's a really great line in The Last Battle where the king says, they're telling a lie, but by mixing in a little truth, they're making the lie stronger. And essentially it's to do with the ape had Mm -hmm. dressed a donkey up as Aslan. Mm -hmm. But when that gets found out by the king, um, and he hasn't told anyone yet, and he's going to expose the ape, the ape quickly gets in there and tells all the people that somebody else Mm. has dressed up a donkey as a lion, and this is so horrific, and Aslan Mm. would be so offended, and almost plays out to be like a blasphemous kind of idea. And it's so clever, because such cunning, because... Mm. There is truth in that, but it was actually the ape who had done the dressing up. And it removes the good guy's strategy to win back the trust of the Narnians by them being the one to expose it. I just love the way that C.S. Lewis teaches us about evil. Mm. And the Bible, I mean, the Bible obviously doesn't eat Mm. far better. The Bible teaches us about evil in order that we can understand the schemes of the devil, Mm. in order that we can be victorious for God. Mm. God's going to be victorious anyway. We know that. We know the last chapter. Mm. But he wants to be victorious through us. And if we understand the schemes of the devil, when you hear that voice and when you hear and you say, oh, but isn't that true? It's like, well, is it true? Or is the devil mixing in a bit of truth to Mm. make his lie stronger? Yeah. There's definitely a reason why Jesus spoke in parables. And I think taking things out of context, like I've already said, can sometimes make you see things in a different light and then apply it to your own life more fruitfully. Absolutely. Let's talk about the topic of journeying because Mm. obviously the Chronicles of Narnia are full of different journeys. We've already talked about a few of those. And the walk of faith is Mm. a journey and... Uh, being the people of God, we are on a journey. And the Bible is also full of journeys. Um, I know that's one mm. area of Narnia that you have found to be quite yeah. a fruitful topic. I don't know if you've read Pilgrim's Progress by yes, John, John Bunyan. Bunyan. Very good book, uh, we wonderful. highly recommend. And I think in a similar way... Another podcast for oh, another day. <laughs> I think in a similar way, um, the Chronicles of Narnia... It, so Pilgrim's Progress, it's the, it's the journey of Pilgrim um, and of a pilgrim, sorry, called Christian, um, to the point of going to glory. And he meets various people along the way and actually learns different things about his Christian faith. And it's quite obvious in the way that it does it. Lots of the characters are called the actual vice or the the aspect that it teaches him. But I think in a slightly more subtle way, the Chronicles of Narnia take you through various aspects of Christian living. Like we've already talked about temptation and um, fighting the devil's schemes but I think they're just really valuable to apply or to work through, mm. actually, the aspects of Christian living that are difficult and think about what the Bible says about those aspects. And the the good thing about the journey and with the Chronicles, you have different books. 
is that you see people in different stages and mm. with different challenges and different skills and different temptations. And yeah. I think it's a bit like that in the Bible. You mm-hmm. read about people of different times and with different struggles and temptations. And the one constant is God, just mm-hmm. as you said earlier, Aslan appears in every book. He's the only character that appears in every book. And he ultimately, he's the thread that runs through them all in the same way that Christ should be the, the thread that runs through our lives mm-hmm. and, and runs through the Bible. You know, yes, Christ incarnate is the New Testament onwards, mm-hmm. but actually go back to the Old Testament and you can see the character of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there at creation. Completely. Um, so as I've just said about each of the books kind of representing different stages... Do you think there's a particular book that speaks to our time more than any of the others? I think the middle three, so Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader and Silver Chair are kind of the times that we're living in now. I personally resonate quite strongly with the Silver Chair. For those that maybe aren't as familiar with it, um, the children at the start are given three signs, four signs of what they need to look for and wait for until they can find this lost Prince Rillian. And it's Aslan who gives them the signs. Yes, Aslan gives them the signs. And actually, Aslan stresses how important it is that they remember the signs. Repeat the signs, remember the signs. And what do they do? Forget the signs. Never repeat the signs. Yeah, the silver Jill starts well. She, She starts, I think, in fear repeating the signs and saying them to herself every night and then she gets distracted by comfort by discomfort by frustration and anger by thinking that she's got it all sorted and that applied to my own life is just so real Mm. and the the fact that actually god says if you learn my word meditate on my words pray in in um all circumstances yeah continuously that's what i was looking for um, and I don't do it and I get distracted and I lose focus and I get drowned by the world. Mm. But actually coming back to the Bible and remembering the goodness of God, remembering what he tells us and the, the, the instructions and advice that he gives mm. for living a godly mm. life. It's right there. And actually so many times, especially like we're, we're recording this during lockdown and I think it's really easy to get distracted by the oppression of the current circumstances and actually turning back to the bible and remembering oh yes i just needed to to shift my eyes heavenward and what's interesting that story is the children forget the signs but at some point they must have told them to puddle glum (laughs) because character (laughs) i know he's your favorite character because he essentially becomes the one who reminds them of Mm. the signs and there's a certain moment where they're walking towards the giant city. Yes. And they have this lie spun at them by the Queen of the Underworld that the giants are going to warmly welcome them. Yeah. And we they want you for their feast. We eventually find out that basically they just want to eat them. But they didn't know that at the time. And there's a moment where Puddleglam says to Jill, I'm paraphrasing, but I don't know if we're doing the right thing here. Mm. What were the signs that, that Aslan told you? Mm. And Jill turns to him and is like, Honestly, forget the signs right now. I'm hungry, I'm cold, I'm tired. Let's Mm. get to the giant city and then we can think about that. Mm. And what I found really powerful about that is actually those moments are the most important Mm. moments to remember the word of God, if you analogise the signs with the word of God. It's actually when we're tired, when we're cold, when we're hungry. Mm. But what do we do? We turn to the comforts of the world and we say, oh, let me just get into the giant's castle. Let me just go to that place that actually we know at the back of our mind is not helpful Mm. for us. 
And the irony is in that very moment, they are walking over one of the signs. They yes. are walking over that um, portion of land that has written in it, under me. Under me. And she actually falls into it and she, she does, walks around yeah. it. And the irony of that, that we yeah. we sometimes trip over the signs of God and still don't see them. Yeah. And Jill reflects on it later and goes, if only we had seen it yeah. at the time, we would have saved all of this drama, yeah. all of this heartache yeah. of being in this giant city and then being trying to be eaten by them. And <laughs> all of the arguments that they have would have been saved if actually they'd at that moment looked and thought about the signs and found the where where they were and i think the grace of god is so evident in that book because mm. you can you can sort of see the story that aslan had set out for them yes and then the fact that they deviate so far from that mm. and yet with aslan's help they do get there in the end yeah actually aslan appears in a dream to jill in the giant city and it's mm. like look out the window and shows yeah. her the sign that she'd missed mm. and i find great comfort in that because i so often forget to you know meditate on the word of god i forget his laws i go my own way but he pulls me back yeah question for you then which books do you think you've learned the most from well i find it really interesting that your answer was the middle books because my answer is the book ends so magician's nephew which is the first book and the last battle which is the last book and i have learned so much about the creation story and about what potentially is going to happen in the end times from these books i think i probably read them in my teenage years with that in view so for example the magician's nephew there's this moment that i just love where the characters from our world are there in the dawn of a new Mm. world and they hear this voice of song and they later find out it's the song of Aslan Mm. and they're just like where is this coming from everything is singing and the stars start singing and and the ground starts singing and I'm not saying that's what happened but there's something true in that that all of creation sings with the creator that's still true now the bible says Mm. that creation groans in childbirth you know in labor pains desiring the end times and there's something about yeah there's something about the way that c.s lewis writes Mm. the bookends of this uh, series of books that i just find really helpful Mm -hmm. the last battle there's something very dark about it which is also true of the book of revelation there's a Mm. lot of darkness there there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of evil like really scary evil things doesn't make a very good children's (laughs) book well in terms of whenever i've seen like depictions of the books in film or tv series or um drama no one wants to touch the last battle it's quite it's quite dark like you say and i've actually heard strong criticism about the chronicles of narnia in terms of the fact that throughout the series there are wars Mm. and you know the last battle is very dark but guess what you look at the bible Mm. and you can make the same criticism people do people Mm. say how do you reconcile the fact that there was these great wars you know the battle of jericho Mm. was that essentially a genocide and i'll be honest i don't have all the answers to that and i suspect neither did c.s lewis but he didn't fear Mm. to write some dark stuff into this series and i think by trying to protect our children and wrapping everything up in cotton wool, what ends up happening is they just see the darkness of the world Mm. and they don't learn about darkness, which is important for us learning about our 
spiritual journey, mm. if that makes any sense. And Being, that the ultimate victor is Aslan. It is good, goodness. Absolutely. The, yeah, the last battle is dark, but ends in the most beautiful light, beautiful descriptions of what maybe heaven will look like. And that's a good part of the... I'd say it's a quarter of the book is, is based in light, yeah. despite the start being so dark. And we've talked quite a lot, haven't we, throughout this conversation about how writing a biblical story in a completely different context gives us a new way of approaching things. And that's so true in The Last Battle. The Last Battle addresses things that I have huge questions about and still have big questions about. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's this story of um, Emeth, who is a Kalorman who worshipped Tash, which is this evil kind of god, but unlike all the other Kalormans, when he goes through the stable door, mm. he also comes out into the bigger, better Narnia, which leads to Aslan's world. And there's a really interesting conversation between Aslan and him, where essentially Aslan says that anything good that he did in the name of Tash he was actually doing for Aslan yeah and Emeth says oh does that mean that what the ape said was true that Aslan and Tash are one and Aslan's like no we are not it's he's the absolute opposite of me exactly he is the opposite of me and that he will never accept good done in his name and I will never accept evil done in my name yeah and the thing I find useful about that is there's been so many horrific things that have been done in the name of God. Mm. And I don't know about you, but people bring that up with me when I'm in mm. conversation with them. How do you deal with the fact that there have been crusades and many people have died in the name of the Lord? And I truly don't believe that the Lord would be happy with those atrocities. So as I say, I don't have all the answers, but mm. I think the last battle just has, at the end, second half of it particularly, has some really tough topics that it covers Mm. in a really useful way in a really refreshing way that I haven't seen done that well elsewhere I remember as a kid really I must have held on to one part of the last battle because it really it sticks in my mind which was learning that Susan doesn't come back so Susan's one of the four children that goes to Narnia um in um the Lion Witch the Wardrobe and she goes again in The Horse and His Boy, or she's still there in Horse and His Boy, and then she's there also in Prince Caspian. And she's she's wonderful, she's a good queen. She's mm. she's not she's beautiful and she's gentle and kind, but you learn in the last battle that she doesn't come back when the other children come back. Yeah. Um and they say she was distracted, she got she got more interested in nylon and lipstick, which maybe let's bring into like her own concepts and think it's Facebook and um, Tinder. I don't know. Like it's actually, she got distracted with the world mm. and said that fairy tales, she said she the, the kids would talk to each other about Nana and she says, oh, as if you're still thinking about fairy tales when we were a child. She, she denies that it ever mm. happened. Um, and that's and so true of people you meet who hot. say... Yeah. Oh, I can't believe you still believe that. You know, we used to talk... You know, there are people who had faith as children and now have, in their mind, moved on to more grown-up things. And that was a concept that maybe as a child, I... It obviously resonated with me because I remember it really strongly. And I think it's a heartbreak of 
of the reality of our world you know we, we can mm. read in the bible it says there'll be people on the final day who say mm. but i prophesied and spoke in your name mm. and jesus will say i never knew you mm. and yet there'll be people there that we think oh but they didn't have the conventional faith mm. that i thought i i thought that the door mm. was this but actually god goes yes but i'm outside of your understanding yeah and this guy this emmeth he he must have been worshipping aslan thinking it was tash thinking it was tash but actually he saw the good really he was he was yearning and i think that's alluded to in that conversation it was like i saw you yearning for me yeah you worship tash but you were looking for me and aslan honors that and he's the only calamon that comes through as far as the book gives you the impression and what I really like about both of those things you bring up, both Susan and mm. Emmeth, is that it's not just in that last moment where you're mm. surprised. Actually, if you go back, so with Susan, for example, there's a passage in one of the books that I can't remember Probably right now. The potentially, where they're following Lucy sees Aslan, and Aslan's like, come oh, and follow Prince me. Caspian. Prince Caspian. Lucy sees yes. Aslan and none of the others do yeah and she, and aslan basically says to her you have to follow me now in the middle of the night and so she goes to the others and she's like we have to follow aslan now and they're like we don't see aslan mm. and she's like he's there he's right there follow we have to follow him mm. i'm gonna follow him either way and so they follow her and what's really interesting is that edmund then sees mm. aslan and then peter sees and susan doesn't see for a very long time and she gets really annoyed um, with the fact that she can't see. And in, in the end, she does see. And she apologises to Lucy and she mm. says, do you know what, Lucy? I think I could see him for quite a long time. Mm. And so... You I just didn't want of, to admit it. Exactly. Yeah. And you can kind of see the seeds of doubt or the seeds of unwillingness mm. growing in Susan earlier on. And then with Emmeth, when they're around the fire... Mm after the cat ginger has gone in been scared dumb by tash in the stable and then the last battle this is in the last battle yeah um they basically say who else wants to go in thinking no one else is going to want to go in no one else is going to have the courage now we've got everyone controlled under our fear Mm. and they have this plan basically that there's a man inside the stable who's going to kill anyone who goes in so they're going to send in the people they don't want to be around which is really actually quite horrific um and emmeth steps forward and says i'll go and his captain rishtatar khan says this isn't for you to be meddling in why are you going forward mm. and the children and the king Tyrion, who are in the bushes at this point hiding say something about emmeth they have such admiration for him mm. they say we like you know normally they don't like the clawmans because they're from a different place mm. they're not very nice generally they've come there to take over narnia yeah exactly they're the enemy they worship tash but they are so impressed by the courage and the integrity mm. of this young clawman standing up to his captain and mm. saying no i want to go in i want to meet tash and there's such there's such beauty in that and then even when he goes in the other side he doesn't know this at the time is lucy and the other children and they later say is that who that clawman was who came in Mm. emma oh we really liked him Mm. and so there's something about that which is you know it's not at the end times that everyone's going to be surprised because by our fruits Mm. you know we show which side we're really on Mm. but maybe we ourselves kid ourselves of which side of the story we're on. Mm. 
really quick, give me a 30 second, if not shorter, who's your favourite character and why? Absolutely has to be Reaper Cheap. I don't even have to think about that. This tiny little mouse who's the bravest and strongest of warriors. He just has such desire to sail to the ends of the world and be in Aslan's country. And he holds on to that. And he just has so much respect for the kings and queens of Narnia and so much respect for Aslan. I just, I just absolutely admire his warrior heart. Who's nice. your favourite character? Mine would have to be Puddleglum from <laughs> The Silver Chair. Um, he's a marsh wiggle. He's so down in the dumps. He's always got the worst to say. If it was sunny, he'd complain about it being too hot. If it's wet, he'd complain about um, it being too moist. Like, he just... Nothing can satisfy him but Aslan. And he's the one, despite all of his gloom, he's the one pointing the children to Aslan. Absolutely. And he rejoices in the restored prince um, and just in all that, that Aslan is. And I just love that, that there's a picture of us being miserable <laughs> by choice a lot of the time, but actually um, still just being a welcome son and daughter of the king. And you know what I love? Both of our favourite characters are very peripheral. And actually, those are kind of the people that God uses the most in the Bible. Yeah. It's not you know, the kings and queens of Narnia, it's not the put-together people. It's a shepherd who becomes the king. Yeah. It's a peasant woman who becomes the mother of the son of God. And I think that's also written very well. Mm. Fantastic. Well, it's been such a pleasure and honour to have you here on the show with us, Grace. Thank you for sharing your enthusiasm for the Chronicles of Narnia, for revealing to us some of the truths of the bible and the gospel that are written in these stories i've just really enjoyed both in our friendship and today connecting over such an incredibly well-written chronicles and i know that you have lots of knowledge and passion about lots of other c.s lewis books some of which i've read and some of which i need to borrow off you um so perhaps we will get you back on the show to talk about those or something else Nice. Shall I pray to finish? Please do. I would love that. Father, thank you that you want to be known, that you came in the person of Jesus to be known in this world. Thank you for how you inspired C.S. Lewis to write these books, to give a glimpse of what it is to know you, to give a glimpse of the character of God that inspires us to read more in your word. Father, we pray that as people listen to this, they would um, not just see a lovely story um, and lovely characters that are limited, but actually see a God who is unlimited, um, who has so much to know, so much that you came in the person of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me for this podcast today. I pray you've been inspired, encouraged and challenged. If so, please subscribe to the podcast and tune in next week for a brand new episode. Also, if you know anyone else who you think would find it useful, then please share this with friends, families and your church groups. Feel free to contact us with any topic ideas or if you feel inspired to come on as a guest. Most importantly, go out this week and shine like stars for the Lord. Bye.